0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Christmas is coming. I wanted to preach a sermon not on Christmas, or else you would hear the same thing next week. But today I wanted us to look at the expectation of Christmas. Uh, So this sermon is called, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. We're going to look at, how we've been waiting for Jesus through the whole Old Testament. This is the story of the Bible. So I'm going to read a passage from the Old Testament, way back in the beginning, and a passage from the New Testament. Genesis chapter 3, this is after Adam and Eve had sinned, right after they had sinned, and God saw them in the garden. And cursed the serpent. Genesis three fourteen. This is God's word. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity Between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, And to dust you shall return. Galatians chapter, chapter four, verses four through seven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your law. We pray that you would help us to receive your word with faith, that today, as we notice our own restlessness, our own need of a great Savior, we pray that you would fix our eyes on him. And help us to remember with joy your coming and also look with joy for your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Christmas is now, I I could probably ask any of the children in the room and get an accurate number of days, uh, eight days away, and you can feel the anticipation in the air. Christmas lights are on trees. They're in the neighborhoods. Christmas music is on the radio. Christmas presents are being wrapped. Children everywhere are counting down the days in expectation. There's this sense of anticipation in the air. And that sense of expectation and anticipation has always been associated with Christmas. We hear it again and again in our Christmas carols that we sing. O Holy Night, Long Lay the World, in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. O little town of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And from hark the herald angels sing, we hear, late in time, behold him come. Not that Jesus was born late, but it just seems so long, that uh they express it this way at the, in the fullness of time Jesus came in the fullness at the right time but there is expressed here this sense of waiting this sense of longing the sense of finally Jesus has come and again in come thou long expected Jesus born to set thy people free and this morning as we await Christmas, in just a few days, I wanted us to reconsider that long-awaiting expectation. And it was long indeed, for it is not simply the story of Christmas and doesn't begin when the angel announces to the shepherds that a Savior has been born, or the, or Gabriel announces to Mary that she will have a son. It begins far before that, Long before that, the story of Christmas is really the story of the whole Bible. It is the story of all of human history. So consider again the hope of all the years in anticipation of Christ's coming as we ourselves wait for that great day when Jesus Christ returns to make all things new. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, I'm going all the way back. Verse 1. And as God made this world, he filled it with plants bearing seed after their kind. And God made fish and birds and land animals, each after their own kinds, each to bring forth fish and birds and lands after animals, land animals according to their own kind. And God blessed them and called them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the world. So there is already, before man, this theme of, of reproduction after its own kind. So it's quite striking when God comes to make man. He says, let us make man in our kind, as it were. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. And God blessed the man and the woman, his image, and called them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it so that his image would reproduce on earth. Even here, before the fall, There is some sense, some vague shadow of Christmas. When God, the God man, Jesus Christ, who Paul calls the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation, when he would be born and when all authority in heaven and earth would be given to him and he would rule on earth, a human over all God's image. That is, we are a reflection of that reality of Christmas. That is what we see from the beginning. God made Adam and Eve to be his image and his image to rule over creation, his creation. That's what we see from the beginning. And Jesus Christ fills that out to the full. He fulfills it when he brings it to pass with his own birth and his own rule. Now, that beginning did not last long, however, for by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see that the created order has been completely messed up. Rather than God reigning over man, man reigning over the animals, we see this bizarre situation where man is obeying an animal and rebelling against God. Everything has flipped over. we We were hoping that we could be like God. Instead, we were made lower. Adam and Eve ate from the tree which God commanded them not to eat. And sin immediately began wrecking havoc on everything, on us and this world. There was immediately this sense of nakedness, a sense of shame. We see Adam hiding himself from the God who loved him and who made him. We see blame shifting, Uh, Adam blaming his wife, Eve blaming the serpent, and a loss of peace between our first parents and this this hiding from each other and from God. We're starting to see the effects of the curse before the effects are even proclaimed by God. God renders judgment in our passage in the same order in which they had sinned, first the serpent, then Eve, And then Adam. And the curse on the serpent in Genesis 3.15 contains in it good news for mankind. It's the first proclamation of the gospel, we call it. Sometimes it's said that all of Western philosophy is just a footnote to the works of Plato and Aristotle. In the same sense, they'll say that we often hear it said that the whole Bible is like a footnote the Genesis 3.15. I don't think you should elevate that verse over the rest of the Bible in importance, but it's the first proclamation of what will be the theme of the Bible, Jesus Christ himself. And also, it tells us of a conflict between uh, God's people and the seed of the serpent. God tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. We don't use that word enmity very often. It means something like hatred. There will be this irreconcilable conflict that cannot go away until one is crushed. There will be no surrender. There will be no peace in this relationship. It will continue until one side has victory. And this enmity will be between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he will bruise you on the head or crush you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So we are shown the future in a nutshell in this verse, one of ongoing conflict that will not be resolved until Satan is finally crushed by the seed of the woman. Now, the word seed here is the same word that we use for descendants. Both the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent will be many. But there is also a reference to a specific individual male descendant when it says, he, he will crush your head. It doesn't say that he will crush the seed of the serpent. He will crush the serpent itself. So there is a savior coming, Jesus Christ, and he will crush Satan and everybody else is swept up into this battle of rescue and deliverance. And so here in the Garden of Eden, before they've even been cast out, the expectation, the long expectation of Christmas has begun. There is mercy here mixed with the judgment that God proclaims. No mercy for the the serpent, but mercy for God's people, Adam and Eve. In all three curses, the survival of mankind is implied. Life will continue in the descendants of the woman, but it will be a struggle. There will be pain in the giving birth of children there will be pain in the sustaining of that life, pain in childbirth, pain in labor. But it will continue nonetheless. And eventually, the serpent crusher would be born and will be victorious. But this, you see, has placed us and everyone in this world into this position of conflict and pain and shame and struggle A land of sin and death, of darkness, with a loss of peace and a loss of rest. Adam was given not just trees in the garden, not just a garden, but he was also given a Sabbath day, a day to rest. And that Sabbath day was always something that he could look forward to, a, a, a rest that he awaited that was something better than the garden. And he did not enter into it. He failed to enter into it. And so now there is this sense of restlessness. You see it with, with their son Cain who wanders around on earth. A sense of restlessness. Even with Satan as he wanders to and fro on earth. Not really having a place to live. There's, there is a restlessness, a homelessness, a dis-peace, a dis-ease that has come uh, to all of humanity. That is our situation. I'm sure that you feel it in your hearts this morning a little bit, don't you? There is struggle. There is sorrow. There is a desire that Jesus would come back and make all things right. That is the hope that we are placed in, the position we are placed in, and that was the position that Adam and Eve were placed in before So the situation that they were given was not just one of long waiting, but restlessness also. And we hear this too when we sing so many Christmas hymns. Joy to the world (coughs) says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That's a reference to here. Genesis 3. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. So we needed not just a serpent crusher, but a curse remover. As far as the curse is found, everything that has been changed, everything that has been ruined by the curse needed to be made right. A savior, not just from our enemy, Satan, but a savior from sin itself and the resulting curse and struggle and sorrow and death and restlessness and exile. This is the need which makes our waiting feel so long. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. O come, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. That is the hope of Christmas. This It's a hope for a rescue from the sorrow, from the curse, from Satan. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. And so until he comes, we were not free. It was on this promise that all the saints of the of old put their faith and their hope and their trust. We hear that hope right from the beginning, don't we? Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Perhaps Eve hoped that he might be the deliverer. But instead of Cain being the promised savior, the serpent crusher, he turned out to be the seed of the the serpent spiritually. And he turned and killed his own brother. What a time of sorrow that must have been. But it's just the beginning of this long promised struggle between the seed of God's people, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. And this conflict characterizes the next 2,000 years. It characterizes the whole rest of human history, really. But in the next 2,000 years, God preserved a line for himself, but the world became increasingly evil until it was said in the time of Noah that the intentions of man's heart was only evil all the time. But God preserved for himself a church, a line, a godly line, a remnant people in this fallen world. For whatever reason, Lamech believed that his son might be the promised deliverer. We see it in Genesis 5. Now, Lamech called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. There was that reference again to that curse with Adam and Eve. And Lamech believed that his son Noah whose name means rest in Hebrew, would be the one who would bring them rest from the curse. So we see him clinging to the promise, looking for that Savior who will give us rest. He, too, was longing for Christmas. It was the right hope. It was the wrong child. It was not Noah who would give rest to his people. But how he would have rejoiced to hear the Lord Jesus stand up on the great day of the feast and say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is where the rest is to be found. Now this conflict and longing and waiting is the story of God's people. Yet, Despite it all, as the centuries roll by, God never stopped preserving his people in the struggle. He sent them little deliverers time and time again in their need, little rescues, and more clear revelation about who the Savior would be, how he would be born. This was the great promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, an echo of Genesis 3.15, he says, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Jesus saying, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so the eyes of all the faithful were drawn to this particular family. There were other godly people in the world at that time. Job was somewhere around this time, the greatest of the men on the of the east. Melchizedek, also greater than Abraham, was there at this time. But God drew his attention to this particular family. And then not to Ab- all of Abraham's children, but he says, through Isaac, Your descendants, your seed, shall be named. And then, not all of Isaac's children, but Jacob. Numbers tells us, a star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel, Jacob's other name. And then, Jacob, you know, had 12 children, but not all his children would be the ones through whom the Savior would come, but Judah. Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so God, in this way, kept drawing their attention, our attention down through history to his son, Jesus, who would be born. And so you see, the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, it's 66 books, but it's one story They're all linked together in this hope. And Jesus Christ is the focus of the Bible. He is the one where through whom everyone in the Old Testament put their faith, that that God will one day deliver them. There is no other Savior for Old Testament people and New Testament people. It's the same Savior, same Jesus Christ. And then the great deliverance of the Old Testament, the Exodus, when God raised up Moses, a deliverer to rescue his people from slavery and genocide and the attacks of Satan against the seed of the woman. What kind of king tries to wipe out all the children of a nation? This is Satan's attack, trying to wipe out the seed of the woman. But God rescues them he brings them into the land of promise, a land where they might rest. Moses promised. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. To him you must listen. And it says at the end of Deuteronomy, to this day, that is the day that it was written, No prophet had risen in Israel like Moses. And so their eyes were focused forward on this coming prophet, this coming serpent crusher, this coming curse remover. Even in there in the promised land, the enmity and the struggle with sin would nevertheless continue through the ages of the judges until God raised up from the little town of Bethlehem, a man of the family of Judah to be king, a man after his own heart, David. To David, God gave this promise, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you. There it is again. Your seed after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Most immediately, God is speaking of King Solomon who would build the temple. But the forever part doesn't refer to Solomon, but to the Lord Jesus, the son of David. Someone, Jesus said, was greater than Solomon. Something greater than Solomon is here. Now, not long after that age of greatness with David and Solomon, the kingdom divided. <clears throat> and Israel, which had once been like a mighty tree, had been chopped down to a mere stump. Was it dead? Not quite. There was a promise that remained. Isaiah said, a shoot will spring from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is where their hope remained all those dark centuries. And so the Lord sent prophet after prophet to point the way, to tell them that he was still being faithful to them and to continue to focus their hopes And fears of all the years on Jesus Christ. And he revealed in it that this promised seed of the woman would be more than simply a man. He would be God man in one person. Because that is what we needed to save us. We could never have produced a savior on our own. But God also Needed a man to to pay the price for men, and so Jesus Christ had to be God and man. And that becomes more and more clear as the God sends prophets. Isaiah seven fourteen: The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Isaiah 9, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That this child that would be born of a virgin would be God with us. And yet we also see this theme of peace. He says, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then it continues, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And Isaiah's contemporary, Micah, would write, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. He will be great to the ends of the earth, and this one will be our peace. You hear it, this theme? Peace, peace. There will be no end to the increase of his peace, prince of peace. This one will be our peace. What was it that the shepherds of Bethlehem heard that night that Jesus was born? When the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the star from Jacob, the scepter from Judah, the prophet like Moses, the son of David, the greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ, God with us was born. It was angels singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with among men with whom he is pleased. What kind of peace was it? We've heard it again and again already. All kinds of peace. There was conflict with Satan. There was this enmity with him. There was alienation from God and exile. There was conflict between brother and brother. There was the peace which sin removes from us. Peace in every way. Jesus had to bring it. You needed a serpent crusher. First John 3, 8 says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That is why Jesus appeared, to destroy the works of the devil, to be the serpent crusher, to bring you peace. You needed peace with God and to be restored to the glory which we had. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. That is what Jesus came to do, to bring us peace with God, to bring you peace with God, to restore you to him, to restore you to glory. You also needed peace between man and man. Ephesians 2 tells us, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity thus establishing peace and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who are near you needed also peace from the ravages that sin had brought on your life the curse and death and restlessness you needed all that to be taken away. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, friends, God has provided a complete Savior for you. To save you from all the loss of peace that we have in every way. This Is what the world needed. A savior, a serpent crusher, a sin remover, someone to restore us to God. This is what God has provided in Jesus Christ. But knowing all of this, knowing the story of the Bible, knowing what Christmas is all about, will still do you no good unless you go to him. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. And it is these that testify of me. And yet you will not come to me that you might have the life. I wonder if there's any of you today who feels this restlessness in your soul, who knows that God has provided a Savior, and yet you have not yet gone to him. You hear Christmas music all around you. You hear the celebration. But have you ever come to him that you might be saved, that he might be your peace? Friends, go to him now. If you have not gone to him in prayer before, will you do so now? There is rest to be found in him. Go to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a great Savior, Jesus Christ a Savior that is complete in every way. Everything that we have needed, you have laid up for us in him. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We pray that you would bring us to him, that he would be our peace, that he would give us rest, that we might be restored to you through him. Lord, exalt yourself this this Christmas season. Bring many to Yourself. And we thank You, Lord, and we praise You for giving us Your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.